Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Tip. Hey, what's up, fam? I miss you guys so much. Obviously, I'm not here in person. I'm actually away on assignment preaching in Fort Worth for Irish Church, my ascending church, while Pastor Jeff, my pastor, is gone. But I do have the distinct privilege and honor of introducing to you, no stranger to this house, but my opportunity to introduce her personally for the very first time, a strong, powerful, amazing woman of God who's got a word, no doubt, that's gonna strengthen you and help you grow. Would you stand to your feet? Come on, come on. Everybody get up, get up. Warm your hands up. Now put them hands together and give a big shout out and let's welcome Katie Casati. Yes, preach the word, girl. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Have I told you lately that I love you? I love you, Ricara. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much. You can sit down. Um, I want to begin just by giving honor where honor is due, even though he's not in the building. I'm so thankful um, for Pastor Tim Rivers and Janice Rivers. Um, I'm thankful to be in a house with a pastor who is so faithful to the word of God and as a teacher has just come in and boldly proclaimed to us, my life has been enriched already in such a short amount of time by his leadership and what a beautiful way he has transitioned. This is a very difficult thing. It's a lot easier to transition to a church when the pastor was like acted crazy and they had to get rid of him because it's like, could you just come, anybody but him? But when it's a pastor that is beloved and you have to come in, that is a very hard thing to do, trust me. And the way he has done it just beautifully and in his own shoes and in his own sin. Can we thank God for Pastor Tim Rivers? Amen. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Katie. And I am a Bible teacher. Somebody, somebody say Bible study. Bible study, I don't come with no fancy stuff. I save that for when I travel because home is my favorite place. I do home-cooked stuff here um, because y'all have a different kind of appetite. I don't know about everybody else on the road. I don't know how they're used to eating, but I know when I'm home, y'all like home-cooked, and you like the real stuff. You like the meats. You like the good stuff. And so um, because I know your appetites, I, I come a little different. I put my foot in this one right here. Just... Just get it. However, I try my best to stay out of my bag and in my book, okay? So nothing fancy. We're just staying in the word. Thank you very much. Every amen matters. I appreciate it. So today I have been studying. This is another thing I try to do. When I'm asked to preach, I don't like approaching um, the scripture in a transactional way, like looking for a message. So I believe that if someone invites me, that it's a good chance that God is already speaking to me in where I'm at. And so I stay there. And so when I was asked, I was living in the book of Genesis. And when I tell you living, I mean breathing the book of Genesis. It plays all night while I sleep. I read it in the morning for a couple hours. I mean, I'm just living there. And so I knew somehow it was in here. And I just had to keep getting it from here to here to here, down to here, till I finally could go, okay, this is the part that God wants to speak on this day to this people. So today I'm going to come from the book of Exodus. 
And yes, I'm going Old Testament on y'all. And uh, you're gonna understand why when I'm done. Paul said to Timothy, when he was gonna preach, he said to him, you know how from infancy you have learned the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation. He said from infancy you've known the scriptures. Problem is he don't have no Bible that we have. He was referring to the Old Testament, primarily the Torah, the first five books, one of which we're going to dive into. And he was saying, this is able to make you wise unto salvation. And the very next words he says is, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So if anybody told you that the Old Testament was for yesterday, they told you wrong, baby. This is an introduction, the Exodus, excuse me, not the Exodus, Genesis. I don't even know what book I'm preaching out of. It's fine. It's the Bible. Genesis is where we're going today. And it is the book of beginnings. And it is where God came and inspired a man named Moses to write about stuff that he never lived for. And he said, I want my people for generation upon generation, 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 when I adopt them into my family, I want to be able to have the records unsealed where they can look back and see where they come from, where they can connect to their ancestors and they know the beginning of where this all began. And so that is the context with which we're going to speak today from the book of Genesis. But I'm going to start you off easy by starting in the New Testament and reading two verses, Hebrews 11. Starting in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Verse 22, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, there's the word exodus, and gave directions concerning his bones. One more scripture, John chapter 4. You know the saying, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Today in the time that I have, I want to teach to you from the title, Over My Dead Body. Over My Dead Body dead body Holy Spirit reveal to us your word in this amount of time may you by the power of the Holy Spirit do what you can only do and cause our spirits to absorb heavenly rhythms heavenly rhymes heavenly dialogue today I pray that you would add your presence would be a weight on my words that would carry them deep into the fabric of every single soul. And when we walk out of this door, your word would be alive into us. Some other stuff in us would be dead, but your word would be more alive than it ever has. That your purpose, your calling, and your plan for us would be more alive than it ever has. And we will walk out of here knowing who we are like we never have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. So we're going to go to Genesis. Your homework, teachers give homework, right? Your homework, which you're going to be like, yeah, right, until I'm done. And the Holy Spirit is going to develop such an appetite that you're going to run home to your closet with a flashlight and do this. Some of you are going to do that, I bet. Genesis chapter 12 to 50 is your homework. I believe you could get through it tonight. I believe once you start it, you're not going to want to stop. So I'm going to do what I can to condense some information, and I'm going to eventually get us to our main man today, the main character, Joseph. 
He is the character I want to look at, but I want to remind you that any time you are studying a character in the Bible, that what you are to study mostly is not that character, but the character of God. You are to watch God, how God interacts that person, how God responds to that person, what catches God's eye in that person. So we are going to watch the character of Joseph, and we are going to discover about the character of God, because who he was to Joseph, he has not changed. Who he was then is who he is now to me in my life. So Moses writes this book, inspired. It's not a science book, so it's not there to prove or disprove any of your hypothesis, so it hasn't failed the test. If it, if it doesn't, it is a history book, and it is a literary work, it is storytelling, where God narrates the story to Moses by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he writes it down for us. In the New Testament, we will see it is all about kingdom building. Jesus will come, the king will come, and he will build a kingdom, he'll establish a kingdom, and he'll pass that kingdom on to us. But before Jesus can be born as a king into a kingdom, he needs a nation. He needs a place to be born into. And so in the Old Testament, after all the fooling around in the flood, after all that nonsense, and he starts over, his plan is that he is going to start his own nation. There's nations all over the place. He's not trying to play with none of those. I don't want your nation. I'm not being born into all that. I want my own. And so he's God, so he can just do that. You know, I want a new nation. How are you going to do it? A guy. I'm going to find a guy. So he finds a guy. Now, some of you won't be able to admit this until I say this out loud. There's a lot of you who have sat in church many times and you're not even sure what a Gentile is except for you know you've been told you've won. Anyway, you're one. Is anybody in here? You're like, I'm not even sure what a Gentile is. A Gentile is going to be anyone who is not born into this family. If you are not born into this nation, you're in a Gentile. Every other ethnic group, every other nation is Gentile. So God is gonna build this nation and it will exist to paint a picture of God. It'll exist to bless the nations of the world and be the lineage through which Jesus will be born. And when Jesus comes, he will, with his body, provide a way in for all the outsiders like us. Hallelujah. But at this point, he's building a nation, and you have to be born into it. So after the flood, um, God starts over, and there's still idolatry everywhere, people worshiping everything because... Outside of the garden, it's hard to find God, but you're still wired to worship, so you find something, right? So when you don't have God in this world, you, you worship all sorts of things, power, success, celebrities, fame, everybody's worshiping something. They actually made things to worship. So they had little idols all over the place because they're having a hard time finding God, but they're built to worship. One of these people is a man named Abraham. And when God starts his nation, it's important to understand that he starts with a man who he has to come and get out of idolatry. He does not come to him based off where he was, but where he believed that he could call him out of and he would never go back. And anytime God wants somebody, he's not looking at you based off where you are, but where he believes that he can call you out of and you will never go back. So he starts with Abraham. Abraham has a lot of faith, but he's also dumb. Abraham has made decisions that are even dumber than ones you won't tell anybody about. So Abraham, he goes, Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to birth this nation through you, and it's going to be through Sarah. He looks at Sarah. She's old and decrepit. He's like, my parts don't even work anymore. How's this going to happen? However, God, this God, is talking to me. And all these other gods my daddy been making, they never spoke nothing. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to trust you and believe you. So he has faith that Sarah is somehow going to have to give birth to a child, and this is going to be the child through which this nation comes. 
In the process, Abraham does some good stuff and he does some really jacked up stuff. Abraham, one time, he's in Egypt where he shouldn't have been anyway. He left the promised land, he goes there, he ends up lying, he, he compromises his integrity before God in Egypt, and now Sarah is at risk, the promise is at risk, because if this king sleeps with Sarah, then never, no one will ever know if this baby Isaac is really God's, or Abraham's, or this king's. So everything's at risk, and God comes in, and he's like, oh my goodness, I gotta already clean this up. And he comes, and he strikes this king with boils, so that he won't mess with Abraham's wife, Sarah. And the guy's like, what's going on? And he tells Abraham, why would you do this to me? Get out of here. Take your beautiful wife. Take everything in here. And he starts giving him all these gifts and all this stuff. And one of the things that he gives him is servants. And one of them, her name's Hagar. So now he has Hagar, which leads me to his next highlight reel of mistakes. At a certain point, he gives up on the promise. Yeah, it's not going to be Sarah because we just, it's not happening. Okay, it's not that we're not trying, but it's not happening. So Sarah's like, just, just do it through Hagar. Hagar has Ishmael, and God's like, yeah, I'm not the father. You started that, I didn't start that, I am not the father, that's not the one I'm blessing. Do you still, can you believe for, for more? So Abraham decides to have faith and believe. Sarah gets pregnant, even though she's old and barren. God sticks with his pick. Me personally, after all those years of waiting to start a nation, uh, he's, not, he's, he's off to a bad start. I've been like, you know what? We could wait a few more years. I'm starting over. But God sticks with his pick. Abraham's his pick. And now here comes the promised child, Isaac. Isaac, we don't know much about. We have this one really um, big moment in his life where his daddy takes him on a walk to offer a sacrifice. He gets up to the top, realizes he's a sacrifice. Next thing you know, his father is tying him up and has a knife raised to him and is about to brutally murder him and stab him to death because you do realize it was gonna take more than one. It was about to be a bloody mess. So I want us to pause for one second and just all agree that this is traumatic. I know God's in it, I know Abraham's doing the right thing, but this is traumatic if you're Isaac. If you're Isaac, and now I gotta walk off that hill, are we gonna go have dinner together? I'm good, Dad, like, I don't think I ever wanna eat again, never. The most beautiful thing to me about Isaac, because we don't see a lot about him except for him getting blessed in Hebrews, or in Hebrews talking about how he blessed his sons. Because the most beautiful thing to me is that somehow Isaac found a way to walk off that hill and still make his daddy God, daddy's God his God. And we are here today because Isaac decided that instead of focusing his life on the trauma that God had allowed, he would focus on the fact that God did not let that trauma kill him. And instead of being caught up in all that he endured, he said, I don't know, I don't have to understand it all, but I heard a voice from heaven that stopped it. All I know is it could have killed me, but it didn't, I'm still here. And he carries his faith until his dying days, and he passes it on to his sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau, I ain't got time for him, he bothers me. We're not talking about him. <laughs> Jacob, he gives up too easy. So Jacob, we're talking about, Jacob is a straight hustler. He's New York, like me. He already managed to swindle and, and, and rob his brother of his birthright and his blessing. And now he's on the run. He's not even sticking around for this fight. He knows he's dead if he sticks around. You gotta know when to run. So he, so he runs, he's on the run. Jacob is. He's running from Esau and he gets to this new land. He's run away from the promised land. He's run away from Canaan. And he gets there and they say, you can't hustle a hustler. <laughs> but this is where Jacob gets played. 
Um, go home and read it for yourself. But the short version of the story is, there's two women, Jake, uh, uh, excuse me, Rachel and Leah. Rachel is a dime. Leah's cross-eyed. That's the Bible. I didn't say it. But he is straight up obsessed with Rachel, agrees to work seven years for her, works seven years, and Laban swindles him and, and, and sneaks in Leah instead. And he wakes up in the morning. And I don't know how he made it through the whole night, not knowing that this was, maybe he just thought it was just so good, but he does, I don't know what happened, but he wakes up in the morning and was like, your eyes are still like that. Where's Rachel? He got to agree to work seven more years. He gets Rachel and Leah. Leah he tolerates, but Rachel he loves and adores. The only problem is Leah's popping out babies left and right like it's her job. Rachel is barren. And this is the struggle. Then finally, Rachel gets pregnant. Woo, there's no ultrasound. I hope it's a son. I hope it's a boy. This is what I need is a son. And sure enough, Rachel gives birth to baby Joseph. And now Jacob is in the season of his life. His mistakes have humbled him. He's a different person than when he got there. Getting played will do that to you. And now, as suspect as he has been, God has mercy on him as well. He visits him in a dream and he promises him that the blessing of Abraham and Isaac is going to rest on him. And, um, and, and at, a, at a certain point, he decides now, after 20 years in this land, that he's going to stop running and he's going to come back home to the land that was promised to his forefathers. And he doesn't know if Esau is going to try and kill him, but he's got a plan. He's trying to figure it out. And after all this running, he goes back and on his way home, he has a strange encounter where he wrestles with God. And in this moment at the end, God, it says, renames him Israel. There is no nation of Israel at this point. It is a man. So God's nation begins as a seed in Abraham. and Isaac, it is a baby. And now with Jacob, it is a baby that has a name. And now it is a nation. Israel was born after he wrestles with God. And he has a new name. And when he walks away with there, from there, he's got a new name and a limp that he will have to explain to his son Joseph. In these days, there is no Bible so the way that religion and the belief of God, Yahweh, is passed on is through stories. Fathers and their sons sharing stories of God, telling him what God did to Abraham and what he did to Isaac and who he's been to Jacob. And God, Jacob passing on these stories. So Joseph would have grown up hearing the stories of his fathers. He would have grown up hearing Joseph would have heard Jacob tell him about the dreams that God gave him and how he spoke to him out of dreams. And he would have known that this is why his daddy walks with a limp. And now Joseph, as we recall the story of his life, I want to encourage you one thing, to forget everything you've ever heard about him. Because I believe that much of the interpretation of his life has been out of order. There has been an unhealthy focus on Joseph and his dream that has sort of skewed and lost so much of the value of his story because I want to inform you that the story of Joseph is not about a man chasing his dream. So everyone who comes to this text wanting to be like, all right, Joseph had a dream and he got there. How do I accomplish my dream? That's not the story. And everybody who comes to this text like, how do I deal with my haters? That's not really what the story is, okay? I want us to come as a blank text and just listen to the story. Don't be the person in conversation that any interrupts someone's story all the time with, oh yeah, me too, one time that happened to me. Just be quiet 
and listen to Joseph and the story of his life without making it about us. Can we do that? Joseph's got a hard life. It starts earlier than this dream. In fact, he's a young boy, and they um, are traveling now, and God is leading them back to where they're going to start their family, where they're going to settle down and live now in this promised land. His mommy's pregnant again. It's a very exciting season. She's about to have another son. Jacob is through the roof, happy. Joseph's excited. He's going to welcome his baby, sibling, whatever it is. And they're on a move. So they're up in the U-Haul, whole family, everything they own. And they are, and they are on their way to where they are going to start over again. And, and she goes into labor. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Well, it's the Old Testament. We don't know hospitals anyway, so let's just get her out of the U-Haul onto the side of the road. Let's deliver this baby and then take it from there. This is exciting. It is so exciting. And Jacob or Joseph's like a young kid in the back of the truck, like, I wonder if it's going to be a boy or girl. He's going to be my little best friend. And, and you hear the screams and the cries of delivery. And then you realize these aren't just screams and the cries of a delivery and that as Rachel is pushing out this baby and giving birth, she breathes her last breath and she dies giving birth to his baby brother. And now the Bible says they have no option and they literally have to bury her on the side of the road. They get back in the U-Haul with a bloody baby and no mother to nurse it and a despondent father. And the Bible just simply says these words, then Israel moved on again. So now Joseph has had a brutal awakening. He has not got a chance to say goodbye to his mother. And now they are going to just start over a grieving father, a baby who will never know his mother. So they get there, they start over, and understandably, Joseph is Jacob's favorite. He takes care of, um, of Leah's kids, but his favorite is Joseph, which is why he gets the coat of many colors. His little brother that was born is um, Benjamin. Loves Joseph and Benjamin, but Benjamin reminds him of the one good season in his life. He looks in the face of Joseph, and he remembers the face of Rachel. He holds the memories of the beautiful part of his life when the rest has been so ugly. So he loves him. He's obsessed with him a little bit. He makes him this weird coat, and it's got a lot of colors. And because he is so much the favorite, his brothers hate him, okay? And now on top of all that, he wakes up one day and has a dream. Now let's just pause and reiterate that this is not an ambition kind of dream that we talk about. I've got a dream from a... He li no, he literally woke up like that was weird. He had an actual dream that in this dream, there was like these... He was here and his brothers were bowing to him type of thing. So Joseph, who knows why he's doing this? He's 17 years old. He goes and he tells his brothers about it. Now they already hate him. So now they hate him even more. Maybe he's just excited and sharing it because he's 17 and he remembers how his father told them about God speaking to him in dreams. And so this is amazing. Maybe he feels a responsibility to share it. I don't know. Maybe he's bragging, but there's no reason in the text to see that. It doesn't say anything like that. Okay, so if you've heard that, that's a preacher. That's not the Bible. The Bible does not say that he was a bratty kid out here trying to brag about his dream. All we know is that he said it, they didn't like it, and then when his daddy sends him to check on his brothers one day, they are so mad that they decide to kill him. This is our chance. 
And so he's out there, he's already had a hard life, and now he never sees this coming, not for one moment does he see this coming. He goes and he's looking for his brothers, and his brothers see him first, and they say, this is our chance. And now they take him, and his whole life is just flipped upside down as they decide they're gonna kill him. No, you know what, we won't kill him. We are going to just traffic him and sell him. So not only do they rip away his life, but they profit off of it. So now Joseph never got to say goodbye to his mom. And now he's like, I, I can't even go and say goodbye. I, I, I don't even get to look in my father's face. And I already know that once I get in the back of that caravan, I'm never coming back. And they take everything. He has not one familiar thing from home. And now he is a teenage boy feeling abandoned and scared. In fact, he is so scared that Decades later, his brothers will recall and they will say, we remember the ang with which the anguish in his soul when he pleaded with us for his life. This is Jacob or Joseph. And now he's sitting in the back of a caravan being trafficked into another country. Not one familiar thing from home. All that he has inside of him are the stories of his father. All he has is the promises and dreams that Jacob has instilled. Do not underestimate the power of what you're putting in your children. Because he will go to Egypt at 17 years old with nothing but what his father put inside of him. And now... He's in a new country, Egypt, culture shock, doesn't speak the language, and by the way, they find Hebrews to be so detestable, they won't even eat at the same table with you. So you go there in a world where they think you're, you're not even good enough to sit with them, you don't speak the language, you are now somebody's property, and Egypt is just full of idolatry, they don't worship your God, there will not be a house of worship for you, there will not be a small group for you, there will not be someone to pray with you, there will be not anything to connect you with your God, your soul. So Potiphar, Potiphar is a very powerful ruler of the Egyptian army, one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. Now, Joseph, whose history is a shepherd boy, comes to work for him. And now what happens is, well, he's sold to him, so he's working for him. And the Bible says that as, he, as soon as he takes over this guy's business, that God starts to bless it in a way that catches Potiphar's attention. And he's looking at him like, look, I know that you are not qualified for this job, but um, everything you touch God blesses, and so I don't know about your resume, but the way God blesses you, I want everything to run through you. You aren't qualified, but there's something about the blessing on your life. And his resume, he gets a job that Egyptians would have been so mad that he took a job for them. This illegal immigrant Hebrew got our job because of the blessing that was on his life. And now God begins everything he touches. God is blessing the whole house of Potiphar on behalf of him. And it's a prophetic picture, a Jew blessing a Gentile, a Jew blessing the nations of the world. And I've got to tell you this, that one of the most remarkable things to me about the whole life of Joseph is this, that he was able to live the rest of his life in a pagan idol-worshiping country with nothing inside of him but the fear of God, and somehow he was able to maintain his fidelity to God. He comes so young. Think about how scared you are when you got to send your kids to college. About the same age, and you're like, oh my Lord, I just hope. I hope you survive college without getting pregnant 
or in jail or something on drugs, right? I pray you make the right choices. I pray you pick the Christian club over the fraternity party. I pray you make the right decisions. I don't know, though you're scared to death, and this is the age of Joseph, and he doesn't have choices. He can't choose the right friends. He can't choose the right environments because none of that even exists, but there was something inside of them that year after year keeps him faithful to a God that he is the only one who serves. He had nothing but the lessons of his father and a holy fear of God. And so he said, I don't care how unfair my life has been or how much trauma I've endured. If my grandpa Isaac could come off that hill and still worship the God who took him there, then over my dead body will I forget whose I am. And the best display of his ability to maintain his integrity was when the college kid encounters a cougar. This is where be, people be tripping. This is where you normally expect things to get crazy. Potiphar's wife likes him. Bible said he was well built, all that. And it says day after day, she keeps enticing him. She keeps enticing him. Like, who's going to know? You know, it's okay. Nobody will know. Plus, I kind of own you. I mean, I'm sure she used every, every single kind of thing she could to get him. And it says he refused her day after day. He refused to even be in her presence. And one day, she, he, he comes in and, and she goes and she goes to grab him. And he runs out the house and she grabs onto his coat. And he runs out of there and says, no, 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 no. And she's like, oh, nobody will know. He's like, yeah, that's what you think. But this isn't between me and you. This is between me and God. Listen, listen. I remember the story of how Abraham compromised in Egypt. I know I'm in Egypt. But when Abraham compromised in Egypt, that's how we ended up with Hagar. And that's how we ended up with Ishmael. And that's how we ended up with the Ishmaelites that just bought me and sold me to you. See, compromise in Egypt is what got me here. And so I have learned from the mistakes of my father. And so over my dead body will I sleep with your fine self. <laughs> over my dead body. He lived with that spirit so over my dead body. I've got something inside of me that is beyond what I'm living in. And it seems after such a victorious moment, heaven should have reached down and high-fived him. But instead of getting a blessing, he got a bid. Because she lied on him, because hoes will be hoes. It don't matter, Old Testament, New Testament. She said that do rape me, all this kind of stuff. And he said, I'm not guilty, but it didn't matter, because when you tell a husband and he's the judge, it don't matter. So now Joseph is in prison after what he just did. In Psalm 105, just in case you would just think he was just kind of chilling in a cell, Psalm 105 tells you the kind of treatment he endured. It says he was sold a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, and his neck was put in a collar of iron. As if his life has not been fair enough, unfair enough. And he's, un he's living in the situation. He doesn't belong there. He doesn't deserve this. It's not fair, but when he gets in there, it seems like every time it looks like God left him, then God blessed him. And so he's in prison, but the warden is like, no, you know what? I want to promote you. And he puts him over all of the prisoners and everything runs through him. So he is a prisoner running the prison. I mean, only God could do that sort of thing. And what I love to see about him, one of the most th things that I uh, admire the most is that after all the trauma and all the, all the unfair things, and after all the pain he endured, 
Joseph never allowed him, his heart to become hard and bitter. And I know that because when you're bitter, you're blind. And you stop seeing people. You see your own pain so much you can't see anybody else's. But Joseph, after all of this, he walks into a prison one day. And this soft heart will be the key that unlocks him. Because he walks in and he notices. He sees people still. And he says, they look sad. They're prisoners. I mean, I would think they all look sad. But he notices these two, something's wrong. And so he actually cares about what's wrong with them. So he goes, he's like, guys, what's wrong? Are you okay? And they're like, no, man, we had a dream, some crazy dreams, and nobody here to interpret them. And he goes, oh, you had a dream, huh? And you think no one's to interpret them? Well, they say God interprets dreams, and he's with me, so why don't you tell me your dreams? So they tell him their dreams, and God gives him the interpretation. So he's like, I've got good news and bad news. You are getting hung. And it happens. You can't help what God tells you to tell. You just got to say it. Um, and you, though, are going to get released. And you're going to get to go back and get back into first house. And, and, and all I'm asking you is that when this happens, please don't forget me. He begs him and he says, please don't forget me and get me out of this prison for I was forcibly taken away from my land. And he is pleading with him, please, please don't forget me. And the guy gets out. His prediction comes to pass, and for two whole years, Moses tells us, for two whole years, this joker forgets about him. And this is where I start to get mad. This is not fair. He keeps doing the right thing, God, and I want justice. And I'm asking God, where is the justice? It's not fair, and I'm telling God all about it because I wrestle with the text, and this is how I, I have conversations with God. This is not fair. And God is like, you're right. His whole life is unfair. I mean, getting taken and, you know, prison and accusation, all, everything that's happened to is not fair. And you want, you want to know what else is fair? I'm like, yeah, since we're talking, what else is fair? Isn't fair? He's like, you know what else isn't fair? That promotion he got over all the Egyptians when he got there. You know what else isn't fair? That when he got down to that prison, he got let out of that iron. You know what else isn't fair? That he got to rule over them and, and have this promotion. You know what else isn't fair, Katie? That after he gets out of this prison, after all of these years, he was going to reign over all of Egypt. And the people who have found him to be detestable will bow to him till the day he dies. Do you want fair, Katie? And then God said to me this. Sometimes, if you get justice, you can't have mercy. And you have to choose justice or mercy. And you have to choose, because if you get justice for the people who have hurt you, then you get justice for yourself too. Do you really want what you deserve? Yeah. Joseph lived with the tension between injustice and mercy. I've had an unfair life, but also the favor and the blessing on my life is undeniable. None of that has killed me. None of that has kept me. I'm still here by the mercy of God. And what was God doing through all of this? Psalm 105 says, he was in prison until what had said come to pass, until what God had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. This word test is refining 
like with fire when you put something in and all the impurities come out of it and what you're left with is what is pure. It says the word of the Lord this whole time was refining him. It was showing him who he really was and it was getting rid of all the filth so that when God came time to really do what he sent him there to do, all that other garbage was already out him because God had tested him with the word. And if you notice, God is showing him the meaning of everyone else's dream but his own. As he doesn't even remember his dream. And so now, the prisoner two years later remembers, says, oh, Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. There was this guy two years ago that interpreted my dream. Pharaoh calls for him. Joseph comes out, and he's like, oh, you did remember me. Thanks. Um, and so, it's a little late. It's fine. So, so now he tells Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. For seven years, it's going to be seven years of lots of pro, you know, productivity and stuff in, in the land. And then it's going to be seven years of famine that's going to destroy everybody. And then God gives him an idea. So here's what you can do for seven years. You gather, you gather, gather, you store. And then when the famine comes for seven years, you'll be prepared. And you'll be able to spare your nation. And now he is so pleased with Joseph that he promotes him. And he becomes, outside of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. And the dream hasn't come to pass but God's plan is being fulfilled. So seven years of plenty. And then two years into the famine, the Bible says this is a worldwide famine. It's not just affecting Egypt, it's affecting everywhere. And right now, his family, the people that God wants to birth a nation through, are back home and they are on the brink of starvation. And so Daddy Jacob hears a story that there's a man in Joseph. He doesn't know his name. He goes, there's a guy in Egypt that is selling grain even to outsiders. And so he, he gets all the sons and he sends them there, except for he keeps Benjamin with him. He sends the sons. And so here comes the same brothers who got him there. And he's just chilling on his job one day. It's been 20 years. And he looks up and the Bible says he recognizes them. But they don't recognize him. And in this moment, Every emotion would be floating through his heart. And everything he's thinking, he has the power to act on. And then they come, and now because he is the ruler of the land, the first thing they do is they bow at his feet. And it is in this moment, it says, ah, Joseph remembered the dream. And it is this moment that silly childhood dream God gave me was a prophetic insight so that when it happened, I would know what to do and how to handle it and how not to. And he goes, oh my goodness, I'm doing the spiritual math. These jokers didn't send me here. That dream sent me here. God sent me here. God has brought me to this place. That means I have a purpose here and there's something that I have to do here and I can't do it if I take out vengeance, so I'm going to choose mercy over vengeance. And it takes a while, but he realizes the nation God's building is starving, and he has it in his power to preserve a remnant. He says, God has put me here, boys, not you, to preserve a remnant, to preserve his nation, because Jesus has to come through them. They can't starve, because how will Jesus be born through them? And I am in a position to play my position. And so here they go, and he doesn't reveal himself to them yet. 
He makes them go back, and he eventually comes, and they reveal it, and it's very emotional. When you read this, you will cry. It talks about how often he ran out of the room to weep, and how he's crying and trying to hold himself together, and, and how he's asking them, is their father alive? And, and all of this emotional stuff has happened, and he finally reveals himself, and he goes, guys, don't be mad at yourself. You didn't send me here. You ain't got the power to do this. God sent me here. Don't you think about this another day in your life. I wasn't here by you because everybody wants to talk about how I was chasing the dream, but that dream has been chasing me. It chased me into a pit. It chased me into a prison. It chased me into the palace. It's been chasing me my whole life, and I had no idea until it just caught me. This is the thing that I was sent here for, so go get my daddy. Get everybody in that whole family. Tell them not even to pack a bag because I got better stuff for them here than they have back home. Bring the whole family. Move them back and I'm going to settle them here. And, and now the dream has already been fulfilled, but the story is not done because this story is about more than just a dream. There is something bigger happening that is not just about Joseph. So Jacob and the whole crew is escorted back and they move to Egypt. And for there is the most beautiful, stunning reuniting of Jacob and Joseph in scripture. And I want you to read it, so I won't. And, I, and they're crying and they're sobbing and he settles them there. And for 17 years, he gets his daddy back. 17 years, Jacob lives there. 17 more years of stories and, and moments and, and, and grandkids and all that kind of stuff. And now it comes time for Jacob to die. And this time, Joseph gets to say goodbye. And so after 17 years, Jacob knows he's about to die because back then, like, God let these guys just die like G's. Like, he just, you're going to die, do this, and then put your feet up in the bed. And it's really, they, they died like that. It was amazing. Jacob's about to die. And he has one last request, the last blessing. In Genesis 48, it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. But God will be with you, son and take you back to the land of your fathers. He makes a promise, Joseph, God will not leave you here. God will fulfill his promise. And then he, he leaves him as inheritance, some land back home. God will take you back and that's gonna be your place of inheritance. And then he says, I got one last request, don't bury me here. My bones can't rest here. Take me to the dirt of the promise and lay me next to my father Abraham and Isaac. Please take me home. And Joseph says, I can make that happen. Jacob dies, and for the first time now, Joseph will take a trip back home. After all these years, he goes back home to the place where it all happened, to the place where his life was robbed from him, the home he never got to really grow up in. He goes back to his homeland to bury his father. And he buries him next to Abraham and Isaac, all in the same place. And now what a powerful and emotional moment because he is standing on the graves of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will have to return to Egypt, but he is in this moment remembering where he came from. He's remembering the stories and the legacy and the promise. And so he goes back to Egypt, but not before he stands over their dead bodies. And he goes back with a resolve, and his story's still not done. 
After this trip, he goes back to Egypt, and Moses fast-forwards the story many years until Joseph is 110 and about to die. And he gives us his last words on his deathbed, and he shows us what it really looks like to fulfill the verse we read in Hebrews, where it says, these all died in faith, having not received the promise. And Joseph is about to die. My dad promised me that God wouldn't leave me here. He gave me that land, and he promised me that I would get to go back to it. In Genesis 50, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land. He promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph made the Israelites swear on an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must swear to me that you will carry my bones up from this place. And did you know that of all the things Joseph did so beautifully in his life, the only thing Hebrews mentioned is this dying moment when it says he remembered the promise of the Exodus and he gave instructions about his bones. Man, sometimes the things that we think get God's attention, we have no idea. It's these other things that we don't even see important that gets heaven's intention. And for some reason, this is the thing in Hebrews that Joseph, by faith, gave instructions about his bones. And I didn't really understand it until I thought about it more because see, Jacob had, on his deathbed, took promise and passed it to Joseph and said, God won't leave you here. He'll take you back. And now Joseph is dying. He's like, that promise has not been fulfilled. So what do I do with what I'm holding? What do I do with what I'm holding while I'm dying? How do I die in faith? He goes, I'm going to do the same thing that my father did. I'm going to take the promise. I'm going to pass the rock. I'm going to pass the rock. I'm going to pass the rock because what I won't do is turn this ball over. So he holds on to it and he goes, I'm passing this promise on to you. What my daddy said to me, I'm saying it to you because just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So I'm telling you, God won't leave you here. He will deliver you out of Egypt and settle. And so I want you to be so sure of this promise that I'm not going to just have you carry my words. I'm going to make you carry my body. I'm going to make you carry my physical body around this country when how long until God does what he said but what if we're dying and we still haven't seen it baby die in faith and pass the rock you take it and you pass it on and for generations for hundreds of years the bodies of Joseph people die and they pass the rock and they carry it to the next person and they hold on to this brother's bones for hundreds of years and I kept feeling the spirit of God just tell me follow the bones Katie follow the bones so I, I followed the bones. I'm like, why is he doing this? And he's telling them, listen, I did not suffer all these years in Egypt to have you give up on the promise we've given everything for. So if you give up on this promise, it's going to have to be over my dead body. You will not say that I didn't do everything in my last breath to make sure that you do not give up on the promise. You're going to have to step over my dead body to give up on this nation that God is building. And I followed the bones. What they do with the bones for hundreds of years? They take him. And the Moses, Israel's grown. And just so many people. And they're about to exodus. They're about to get over the Red Sea. There's 10 plagues. This is a chaotic exit. Dead mom's grieving and wailing over the, all the firstborn sons. It's crazy. And they're going to run off. 
and they're leaving Israel, and they're going to head to the Red Sea. The Bible tells us in Exodus that Moses is like, come on, let my people go. And where is Joseph? Bring me Joseph. Who's got Joseph? For all these years, Joseph's bones are still somewhere, and now somebody's trying to get out of Egypt, but they have to slow down, and they have to pick up the weight of a coffin, and they'll walk across the Red Sea like a pallbearer, and they will carry the body of Joseph over because Moses said, I will not leave him short of the promise. We will leave this place over his dead body. And they cross the Red Sea carrying a coffin. He's finally walking into the promise and he's being escorted by the fathers of our faith, the fathers of our faith, the people who exited, Lord, and they are escorting him, they are carrying him to the place and he'll finally rest in his inheritance. Do you know how much of an inconvenience it is to carry a coffin full of bones? And Joseph's like, yeah, that's the point. This needs to be inconvenient for you. And now for 40 years in the wilderness, they don't just find the first spot. Moses and Joshua are like, he's not resting until he gets to the land his father gave him. He's not resting here. 40 years wandering the wilderness, mad, angry, hangry, thirsty, tired, and everything else. And somebody always has, it's your turn. Who's got the coffin? Who's got the bones? And man is falling on his coffin and they keep his bones in Israel, wandering in the desert until finally the end of Joshua. Moses is already dead. And the last verse of Joshua... <laughs> It says, in Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the track of land that Jacob bought. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Where was he buried? In the promise. He was buried in the inheritance that his father left him, and he never saw it with his own eyes, but he greeted it from afar, and he saw it, and they put the dirt of that promise over his dead body. Now, he was buried where it all began. And I felt the Spirit of God saying, keep following the bones. And I came across John chapter 4. <sighs> Jesus is on a journey. He's tired. He says he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down on Jacob's well. Jesus is about to foreshadow the fulfillment of a promise that the gospel would not be just for a physical nation, but that with the shedding of his blood, he was going to break that body open and the nations of the world. He's about to have this remarkable moment and invite the Samaritans to be followers, the most despised outsider. He is about to invite the outsider in and it is not lost on me. It is not lost on me that John thought he would leave in a detail that seems so inconsequential. We know Samaria, but why did you have to tell us that he was on the plot of ground that Jacob left Joseph? And I can see it so much more clearly and how powerful it is. Amos, you can come. It's so powerful to me that, that while Jesus is foreshadowing the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, that he is standing on the land of Joseph's inheritance. And as he sits at that well, just 300 meters away, he can see where they buried his bones. And when he is done having this conversation... 
He says something to the disciples because, see, he's been saying for the longest time that he's going to do this, and the Samaritan, and the Gentile, and they're like, how are you going to do it? And he's been trying to tell them this whole time, it's going to be over my dead body. That's how I'm going to do it. No one's quite understood. And his disciples come, and they're not understanding necessarily this whole thing. And it's here, standing on Joseph's inheritance, that he says to them, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. He's reminding them we are standing over the dead bodies of people who died in faith, having not received the promise. Listen, Joseph was a type of Christ in many ways. He gave them something to carry. It would be heavy and inconvenient. His bones would remind them constantly of his death, but also remind them of the life that was promised. Jesus gave us something heavy to carry. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. It is both heavy and inconvenient. He must take up his cross and follow me. It reminds us of his death, but it also reminds us to live within the tension of his death and the promise of the life that is to come. How do I carry something so heavy? How will I carry across Jesus my whole life? How will I take up this thing every day and follow you? And the answer is simply over your dead body, where I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but Christ that lives within me. How can I live in this crazy Egypt world and maintain my fidelity to God? How can I stop lying in business? Oh, over your dead body. How can I stop sleeping with this man and, he, and I'm afraid he's going to leave me and I won't find someone else? How do I stop living in sin over your dead body? How do I find a way to live in this world and not let it get in me over your dead body? How do I forgive people? How do I forget the trauma and the things that I have endured? How do I move on? Oh, you can unless you're, it's over your dead body. How do I live within the tension of the trauma I have endured and the fact that God has still caused me to live and to triumph over it? You only can do that one way can only survive the pain of your life over your dead body. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. The Bible says that in the last days, terrible times will come. What's so terrible? He says, men will be lovers of themselves. They will love themselves and their happiness so much that they will turn their love on themselves worship themselves, be obsessed with themselves, and they will miss everything else. It will be terrible in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Nobody will want to die, and that is what will mark the time, and there will only be a remnant who will say, you can take happiness, and you can take justice, but I want to live in mercy, and I want to live in the promise of God. How? Do you do it over your dead body? And I can tell you this because I have prayed for you. I have 
cried over you, and I wanted to give you a more definitive ending. I wanted you to leave you with something as you walk out into Egypt. And the only thing that God would give me is this. Tell them that sometimes I write the most beautiful stories with the pen of pain. And the only thing you need to know, it is not just your tears that wet the ink, but it is also. Joseph dealt with many things that were unfair, but one thing never changed, that everywhere he went, it says, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord is with you. So Father, today in this holy moment, for those of us, including myself, who have been so caught up in our own pain that we forgot the big picture. For those of us who have spent so much time trying to get answers and understand, I pray that you would give us the courage to die in a world that is fighting to survive I pray we would be marked as a people who are fighting to die. That we would not turn our love on ourselves, but we would see the big picture when we remind ourselves as we walk this journey that we are standing over the dead bodies of people who died in faith. So God, may we live in faith so strongly that we can still die with it if we haven't seen it done. Give us the power to forgive of you as you have forgiven us because no one has hurt us more than we have hurt you. Release us, oh God. Release us, oh God, from the offense of people who should have handled us better. Show us, help us to do the spiritual math and understand that they didn't do this to us, that they didn't bring us to where we are, that you have sent us here, and the right reason we are still alive is because your plan still moves forward. So pray, God, that these people would be reminded today that your plan is not over, that no one can hinder what you have started in their life. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that we would take up our cross and follow you, and that when it's all done, we would pass the rock. May it be so by your spirit in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text Embassy City, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.